0: You're listening to the Teaching Ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant, biblical community. For more information, visit houston'sfirst.org. Wow, Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. If you have your Bibles, go to the Book of Mark. Of the Book of Mark, turn with me to the Book of Mark, uh, Chapter Two. And as you turn there, uh, I must say what a joy and honor it is to be with you uh, on this morning. I um, am uh, honored to be at the. Uh, Houston's first uh, First Baptist Church, and it has been an, a joy to uh, be uh, one b- to be even invited to this great place. And um, I, I do not, I do know the legacy here. Uh, I still have on my bookshelf um, in my church office "Letters to Timothy" by Dr. John Bisangio, and um, and I know I know about the legacy of him. And I think Pastor Greg. Uh, Matt, uh, who I've gotten to know over the years, and I appreciate his friendship, his leadership, and his generosity, especially to a church called Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. Who, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, your church opened up your doors to uh, many of our members who were scattered over here in Houston. Amen. We can give a hand for that. I still remember uh, I was not able to be here for the first service they did. I I believe I came later on uh, at a time, but I remember one of the first things they reported, the first service here in one of the uh, rooms uh, on this side, uh, they had 500 people uh, at the first service uh, uh, when we hosted here, and uh, we do appreciate you uh, so, so very much. You always have a special place in our hearts in New Orleans uh, for what you did during that season. Well, um, um, listen, some of you may be first time meeting me, so let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. You already know where I work. Uh, I do work at Franklin Baptist Church, senior associate pastor there. Uh, my dad is Fred Luter Jr., who's preached here many times. I'm Fred Luter III. Uh, they call me Chip as in chip off the old block. And, uh, and so I, served, I serve there now. I'm so excited to serve alongside my dad. I am the husband of one wife. So make sure I get that count right. My my beautiful wife, Jasmine, we have been married for 11 years in a row, praise Jesus, in a row. We're going to keep the streak alive, amen. Uh, We have uh, three uh, adorable children, adorable when they want to be, no, they're adorable all the time. Uh, Fred the fourth, but we call him Drew, short for quadruple. Uh, as you see in the picture there, uh, there's Fred the fourth. And then uh, he's nine. Then we have Zoe Grace. She's six. And then our new addition, Gabrielle Sierra. She is five months. There she is with her papa. I figured I'd let my dad show up at least in one part of the service. And so uh, there they are. And so uh, just an honor uh, to be here. And I stand here on behalf of them. They were originally going to make the trip with me. Uh, and then uh, we, but we are just moving into a new home. And uh as anybody knows about moving into a new home. You've accumulated so many things for so many years. Now you're moving to a new place got to unpack. And so it was a little bit um, harder for everybody to make this trip. But they do hope to come back to Houston sometime soon. Um, before I dive into the text today, I did get word that I had a few Franklinites, a few of our former Franklinites who live in Houston now, made it in. Could you just wave your hand? Let me see where y'all at. Any former Franklin? Oh, right down in front. I got my, I got my uncle and out right down in front. Didn't even see you guys. Amen. Anybody Did I miss anybody way back? i point over there. Oh, hey! Well, thank y'all for coming too. Hey, good to see you. <laughs> so, hey, so there may be some more. I knew when I was coming to Houston, I was going to be surrounded. And I need at least a few amen corners. So I appreciate y'all being here today. All right, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And we're going to begin at verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, I'm reading from the uh, CSB, uh, Christian Standard Bible. And I hope, uh, do hope in, uh, that you join me uh, at that place. Mark chapter 2, starting verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. If you need time, say, hold up, Chip. Okay, I got one. I got, is, is it really hold up? Some people just like to say, hold up, Chip. I know. All right, if you're there now, say, I'm there. I'm there. All right, all right. Mark chapter 13, starting at, uh, Mark chapter 2, excuse me, starting at verse 13, and it reads, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to see him. And he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him while he was reclining at the table. Notice that word, reclining at the table in Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but Sinners, Father, God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for this privilege and opportunity. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to be here at such a great church that's making a great mark on this city, Houston, but all around the world, as we know the missions imprint that is Houston's First Baptist Church. God, thank you for the privilege and opportunity I have to stand before your people. And God, I do understand that I am just a vessel. I pray, God, that you would allow me to be used as only as you can. God, this is your book. These are your people. This is your church. God, we are here for you and for you alone. So, Lord, we give you our undivided attention. And God, we ask you to speak for your servants who are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us all say amen. 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 I want to talk this morning from the subject, Jesus is intentional. Say, Jesus, Jesus is, is, is intentional. intentional. By the way, all throughout this sermon, I may ask you to do a little call and respond. That's just kind of my upbringing. It kind of lets me know we're all together. Can I get amen? Amen. Oh, we're gonna do just fine. We're gonna do just fine, amen. My brothers and sisters, I wanna ask you a few series of questions. Which would you prefer, accidental or intentional? Would you prefer an accidental friend or an intentional friend? Accidental, intentional. Okay, Uh, how about, accidental love or intentional love. Accidental or intentional. Okay, uh, how about this? An accidental engagement or an intentional engagement. Yeah, a- accidental, oh, I dropped something and then look, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, what would you prefer? An accidental marriage or an intentional marriage. How about an accidental education or an intentional education? Accidental failure or intentional failure? Accidental work or intentional work? Or how about accidental death or intentional death? Let me answer for you, neither, all right? (laughs) Neither of those. My brothers and sisters, when you think about These statements, most if not all of us like it when things are done on purpose rather than by mistake or mishap. When something is done on purpose, if it's a good result, you know how to do this again. Or if it's not a good result, you know who or what to blame and try to avoid it next time. What if we were to look at things from a spiritual perspective? Would we want to experience accidental faith or intentional faith? Accidental evangelism or intentional evangelism? Accidental ministry or intentional ministry? Whether it's worship, discipleship, prayer, accountability, maturity. How about this? Do we want an accidental Savior or an intentional Savior? Hence the subject of our, t- of our text today, Jesus is intentional. All of us in this room, like when somebody does something on Purpose. Now, we may have certain times in our lives where something happens by accident or, sponta- or so, it was spontaneous and it just happened to work out well. But we all know, even when you build a house, nobody's looking for a, con- a contractor who would just accidentally get it right. No, you better be working on purpose. It's the same thing we love to see in our Savior. So let me give you a little, little context here. The book of Mark is similar to the book of John in that it doesn't take long to get to the ministry of Jesus. When you start start to look at the book of Mark, you immediately jump into the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 1 begins with John the Baptist preparing the way. Then Jesus gets baptized. He gets tempted in the desert. He begins his ministry, calls his first disciples, and he does healing and preaching. Chapter 2 starts with an amazing story. I I was ministered by my brother earlier uh, when it talks about Jesus healed a paralytic that they let through a roof. And why a roof? Well, because there was two, a crowd too large for him to get through the door. So, of course, they made an opening in the roof. Our text today begins right after that story, and we're going to dive in. Let's see the intentionality of Jesus. First of all, I want us to see this Jesus invites. Somebody say invites. Jesus invites contextually, Jesus is at the beginning stages of his earthly ministry. He had just called his first disciples, and now he continues to call Matthew. What a scandalous selection. Matthew, the tax collector. Yeah, Jesus is going for the all-stars right away, isn't he? He, not only, he is not only a tax collector, but he did it while Matthew was sitting at the tax booth. Think about that. Not only he didn't just say, hey, Matthew, let me talk to you for a second. Let's go away and kind of consider this. No, he goes to the tax booth while the man is on his job, a job that's despicable of those in the culture. These people were just trying to get over on people and just get these tax dollars. He goes to the tax booth and calls them. A person taxed with collecting taxes back then for the government, these are people that were either corrupt or perceived to be corrupt, that they would collect more than was necessary and pocket the extra themselves. And in the Greco-Roman times, tax collectors among the Jews were considered to be Roman sympathizers. The common element that shows the obedience of the of these men right here says that he rose and followed him. The Greek word for follow literally means go after, obey. Notice Matthew did not debate Jesus. He did not deliberate. He did not delay. He simply got up and followed Jesus. As a matter of fact, as how Matthew responds to imitation Jesus, that's as simple as it can be for many of you in this room today or for those watching on the internet, that if Jesus is calling you, all you have to do is get up and follow Him. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to wait for the altar call. You don't have to wait for the invitation song to be sung. If Jesus is calling you, all you have to do is get up and follow Him. It may look difficult, it it may look weird, it may look strange, it may look like your life is about to change, but I promise you if you do what many have done, just get up and follow Him and Jesus will change your life. Amen? Do you remember when you were called by Jesus? Do you remember when the Lord started tugging on your heart? Well, that's the same thing that happened with Matthew. He was sitting. Jesus said, follow me. And he stood up and started walking with Jesus. Not only do we see that Jesus invites, but then secondly, Jesus reclines. Somebody say reclines. Anybody about your hands have a favorite recliner in their house, a favorite spot. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you, know what that's about. You know, you know. I, I didn't have time to get to Lazy Boy and get a recliner on stage for the illustration, but you can visualize it on your own. Think about how, how excited many of us are going to be when the fall season gets back to watch the Saints play on. T- uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, sorry. <laughs> My apologies, uh, Dr. Greg, I I apologize, sir. When you watch this later, I I meant to say a team that plays in Houston when they play the Saints, who that? Amen. So, (laughs) but many of us love watching our games in a recliner. When you see, when somebody reclines, they're not trying to get up anytime soon. See, look at this, a person Uh, When it came to these tax collectors and, and how corrupt they were, think about this. Jesus not only knows about how they're perceived in culture, but he actually takes the position to recline with them. The definition, if you look at the definition of recline, it simply means to rest or cause to rest in a leaning position. The word translated for was having dinner literally means to recline. And apparently Jews sat at a table for ordinary meals, but look look at this, I read this in the commentary, I thought this was amazing, but they reclined on couches or carpets for formal meals. Think about, uh, you know, don't talk about your, but in my dining room, our couches and carpets are not in the dining room. The couches and carpets are in the living room or in the bedrooms, right? Think about this back in their day, they were on the couch having formal meals. I think sometimes we need to bring those old ways back. Amen? I mean, that, that'd be an amazing to experience, right? But Jesus, he's not just sitting there. He is reclining. If you think about when, you, when, you, when you're seated, meaning you're content. When you're rested, it means that, that then you're, you're comfortable. When you're relaxed, it means you're carefree. Jesus was not uncomfortable. Others may have but not him. Jesus was seated on purpose because he was sent on purpose. So Jesus invites, Jesus reclines. I want to see this third observation, Jesus attracts. Somebody said attracts. Jesus attracts. As he's sitting there, as he's sitting there, that, that there were many people that the text says who were following him. The the, the reference is not to immoral or irreligious persons, but to those who, because of the necessity of spending all of their time earning a bare subsistence, were not able to keep the law, especially the oral law, as the scribes thought they should. As a result, the scribes despised him. Perhaps a better translation to these people were the uh, outcasts, the outsiders. Jesus attracted them, and that's why the scribes couldn't stand him. People who are harshly judged as well as overlooked were drawn to Jesus. Because of the uniqueness of his ministry, Jesus attracted outcasts and critics. Doesn't we all? The minute we start reaching people that everybody else is not reaching, there's critics that come along who criticize you for reaching those people, even though those are the people they should be reaching as well. But Jesus attracted this. The Pharisees saw what Jesus was doing as an insult and saw it as impure. But the way Jesus viewed, uh, viewed it and those collectors and sinners was not the way Jesus viewed it. The Pharisees were in a different mindset of Jesus. They were focused on enforcing the law more than connecting people to the author of the law. The attention Jesus attracted could have been stressful, but it wasn't because he knew why he was there. He knew why he was doing it. Which brings me to my last point, Jesus declares. Somebody say declares. We see Jesus invites. He he, he invites, he reclines, he attracts. But then lastly, Jesus declares. Jesus overhears their comments and he responds. And you know, I don't know if you read the scripture like me, but sometimes I like to get kind of get in the tone of the text or or just kind of be like if I was there. Have you ever been in a moment where you can hear somebody talking about you, but not to you? Anybody besides me? Right? You're sitting somewhere and people are having a conversation. You hear your name called or you hear some things and they're talking about you, but they're not talking to you. It's offensive, right? It's like, oh, if you're going to talk about me, say it to my face. Don't talk about behind my back. I'm right here. So Jesus overhears their comments and he responds It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. Jesus affirms his mission. Maybe Matthew 9, 13, they add a phrase and it says, uh, and it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, the love of Jesus is for all kinds of sinners. His initiative in seeking them is giving, is, is giving them full acceptance and his desire to have close fellowship with them was a new and revolutionary element in religion and morals. Mark intended to convey the message that the disciples of Jesus should have, said, should have the same attitude. There's another translation called the Message Bible that in verse 17 in the message Bible reads like this: Jesus overhearing shot back. I even love how that begins. Yes, Jesus shot back. You want to shoot shots and not do my I'm, I'm, He's gonna sh- He shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. Jesus let them know. I'm here on a mission, not for those who think they're well, but for those who know they're sick and they need a savior. Warren Wiersbe, great theologian and author, he says these words, but there are three kinds of patients whom Jesus cannot heal of their sin sickness. One, those who do not know about him. Two, those who know about him but refuse to trust him. And three, those who will not admit that they need him. The scribes and Pharisees were in the third category, as are all self-righteous sinners today. Unless we admit that we are sinners, deserving of God's judgment, we cannot be saved. Jesus saves only sinners. Can I ask you a question? Which one are you today? Do you know you're sick? And because you know you're sick, you are open to accepting that Jesus is the healer for you? Do you not know you're sick and, and you just don't know uh, what, what, how, how sin sick you really are? Or do you don't care? Do, are you one of those that just, I just don't care because I believe I'm good exactly the way I am. Jesus has come for sinners. He's intentionally going for sinners. Matter of fact, that was another story in Luke chapter 19 that shows just how intentional he is. Luke chapter 19 Starting at verse 1, it says, "'He entered into Jericho, and he was passing through. "'There was a man named Zacchaeus "'who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. "'He was trying to see who Jesus was, "'and he was not able because of the crowd "'since he was a short man. "'So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree "'to see Jesus.'" Since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's going to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I exhorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to your house, Jesus told him. Because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Man, Jesus is intentional. So how can we be that intentional in our lives? How can we be as intentional as Jesus? I want to give you a few things and then I conclude. Number one, if we're going to be as intentional as Jesus, we must walk with Jesus. Say walk Walk. with Jesus. We must walk with Jesus. Think about it. We got to walk with Jesus in obedience. Only when we faithfully walk with Jesus, his character starts to transform yours. As you become more and more like Jesus, then you will seek people like he did. Isn't this the relationships that happen in our normal lives? And have you known somebody in your life at some point, uh, whether it was a longtime friend or your spouse, that, that, that because, of, because you guys hang together and y'all spend time together, things that you like, you like the same things, things you do, you do the same things, and, and their impact grows on you. If that's what we have in our human relationships, in our natural relationships, how about our relationship with Jesus? We've got to walk with Jesus to see people like Jesus sees them if we walk with church people, all we're going to look for is church people. And that's not who Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to save church people. He came to save the lost. And some of y'all know about those church people. All those church people ain't saved. Can I get one amen? amen. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. That may be, about a, I'm not Houston's first. I'm sure every church here, everybody's saved here. I, I apologize. That's those other Texas churches that I'm not able to preach at today. We got to walk with Jesus so we can see what he sees. We can feel what he feels. Because even like he did with the disciples in the book of Acts, when he launched them, after walking with them the three years, when he launched them to change the world, they were impacted by walking with Jesus. And they impacted thousands and millions more because they went out for the people that Jesus went for. Secondly, we must connect with outsiders. Say connect Connect. with with outsiders. We've got to connect with outsiders. Sometimes this can bring stress engaging strangers and outcasts. We may feel like they will reject us. They may, have, they may have a dislike for people who look like us or talk like us. Maybe they were hurt by someone like us. What if we connect with this person and they have questions I can't answer? What will my Christian friends say if I were to have a person like this at dinner? You know, as a preacher, I've often had to think about that when I meet people. Because if I say I'm a pastor or I say I'm a preacher, not everybody's had good experiences with preachers. Matter of fact, the church I used to serve in, when I was in Tampa, Florida, I used to serve at a church called Ottawa Baptist Church in Tampa. And we had a campus in Sulphur Springs and I was the campus pastor there. And I'll never forget one of the things that I was told by one of the local um, residents was that not many of them really trust these pastors because there was a pastor in that community at one point that was running a drug and prostitution ring through the church. So are you going to be another one of those pastors? See, have you had that experience before? Where, oh, you're one of those Christians. Oh, 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 you, oh, you go to First Baptist. Yeah, I've, I've heard about you First Baptist people. Oh, you're Southern Baptist. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've seen those like you. Oh, the, 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 the Jesus jockeys, the Holy Rollers, whatever, whatever the names you, they, they, the culture calls us. But will that stop us from getting to lost people? Well, you know, I've been hurt by someone like you before. I've been by, I've heard by people like you that look like you. See, we got to care less about reputation and care more about reconciliation. Amen. See, reputation is gossip, but reconciliation is the gospel. We've got to look past about how people see us and we've got to look more about how God wants to use us to bring a lost and dying world to him. We've got to care less about the judgment of others and care more about the judgment of God. Think about those who minister to women who work in, and are not exploited in strip clubs or human trafficking. Think about those who, who minister to women who are in the adult film industry. Uh, Even in uh, New Orleans, we have a ministry near New Orleans, Park Brittany and Coronet Court, not a ministry have a neighborhood, and we're ministering there and also on Sheffmanter Highway. And uh, Park Brittany and Coronet Court, uh, really, it's a violent area, but it's right next door to the church. Matter of fact, our evangelism team uh, once talked to one of the residents there and said, every night I hear gunshots, and I don't know if it's practice or if it's war. And we said, okay, well, the only way to get rid of darkness, you've got to bring the light to it. So twice a month, we have teams going into that neighborhood when the, day, when the daylight is out. Okay, we still got to be wise. Amen, somebody. We, listen, if you want to start that midnight ministry, God bless you. <laughs> Go reach them. I'm praying for you. But Saturday mornings at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, we're going through the neighborhood. And we're not just going to share the gospel. We also have a team of people who are cleaning up. Because if there's one thing we want to show our neighbors how we care, we don't just care in showing you that we know Jesus, but we care about your neighborhood too. And we've seen God do some amazing things where not only we've we seen testimonies and salvations happen, all that, but even once the city started seeing trash going up, then the city came and cleaned up the stuff that were too big for us. And we're doing, it. and then on Sheffmanter Highway, it's very po- it's very well-known. I want to say popular, it's a well-known thoroughfare. It's popular for a lot of traffic flow, but, but but also it's well known for its prostitution and massage parlors. And starting next Friday through a relationship with other churches in the city in the same neighbor area, we have churches once a week that are gonna hit that stretch on the, uh, that stretch of highway for one hour. Our church has adopted Friday, starting next Friday, one hour every Friday. All you can do with darkness is bring light and either the darkness will conform to the light or the darkness has got to go. It's only got two choices, amen, somebody? And my brothers and sisters, the only way we can do that is that we've got to connect with outsiders. We got to have the audacity for people to look at, is that what you're doing? You're going out there, you see the way these women are dressed? You see these prostitutes and you still going? Yes, because Jesus reclined with sinners. Ministries that serve refugees, immigrants, the homeless, those who are dealing with serious mental health challenges. Children, I was so blessed to hear about the ministry you have with special needs with Through the Roof. I mean, it's amazing ministries. Even think about the ministries who serve the LGBTQIA plus community. All these are people that we can connect with if we dare to be intentional like Jesus. Here's the last one I'll tell you. We must live on mission. Say live on mission. Come on, say live on mission. We got to live on mission, brothers and sisters. We got to care less about selfish ambition and care more about the Great Commission. We got to care less about selfish ambition and care more about the Great Commission. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are on a mission from God. We are not here to be loved by society or be heralded by those who dream us worthy. But from the day that Christ saved us, we began the mission to win as many lost souls as possible to Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's why we're here. There are people that will not like us and will never like us. As a matter of fact, if you want some encouragement one day, you can go right to John 15 when, Je- when Jesus tells disciples, Hey, if the world hates you, remember they hated me before they hated you. Oh, that's encouraging. Yeah, well, it, it, if you were part of the world, they'd love you, but because they rejected me, they're going to reject you. We are on mission. Live on mission every day. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul has a great word for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This shows how he lived on mission. Verses 20 through 22. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means... I might save some. I got to read that again for emphasis. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I love the reality of the text because the truth is we can do all these things and not win them all. But Christ never said that he called us to win them all because not even Jesus, as he goes to the cross, won them all, but that he might save some. The some that said, I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. And if Jesus can live on mission, we should live on mission too. My brothers and sisters, I, I, I got I to gotta come to a close. I know you have many great things that you've got to get done today and classes and things to get done. But I want to I wanna, I wanna tell you this uh, story. And, and, and normally at the end of my messages, I'll give a big idea and next steps. So I'm going to try to do this uh, pretty rapidly for you to not hold you too, too long. But one of the most convicting moments of my life was on a mission trip in San Francisco many years ago. I believe it was right, it was right at the time I was starting college and we worked with a ministry called Common Grace uh, in San Francisco. Don't know if it's still there now, but they had this thing called common grace and they had a meal to bring outsiders to the table and while I was there and as you guys have been around me now I've kind of heard me preach a little bit in here and kind of see my personality I am a bit of an extrovert I can talk to anybody meet anybody but then a young man came in dressed in all black attire he was a self-proclaimed vampire not just by title But literally, if you wanted to see them, he could show you the places in his wrist where people have sucked blood from his wrist. Now, I grew up in in the 504 New Orleans, Louisiana. I've heard about many people, but I never met anybody like this. Here's the convicting point. As extroverted as I was, I never said a word to him. How do you approach someone like this? And I overheard a conversation he was having with one of our other uh, team members that he used to be in the church, and then he found out God wasn't working for him. So he decided to go this route. At one point, I, 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 just, I left the table went outside and started to cry because here I am, someone who loves Jesus and is on the mission trip for this purpose, but I cannot connect with this person because of how he looks and the lifestyle he lives. And ever since that day, God's marked me with that story that there should be nobody, no matter the background, no matter the color, no matter the lifestyle, that I should never be able to reach for the gospel. My brothers and sisters, who is that in your life? What's the demographic that you struggle to connect with? Is it politically, racially, culturally, economically, maybe education level? And if you're in you in Houston, geographically, maybe we can't reach those those uh, those uh, wood. What's that city? Wood Woodstock. Well, I'll just make sure you're paying attention. I know it's Woodlands. I'll just make sure you're paying attention. Y'all paying attention good. Missouri City, Katy, I mean, you, this is just such a huge city. Is it geographical for you? You know, even in that little community where I was in the Sulphur Springs, there was literally people, this community was small, but there were literally streets that if you lived on this side of the street, you would never cross that side of the street. And you're talking about maybe a, a two-mile radius of a community, but if you lived on this side, you wouldn't go that side. Is, is there an outsider that's just beyond your reach because you want to break through the awkwardness to reach them? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. You know how uncomfortable Jesus was? Jesus was this uncomfortable. He was accused falsely of a crime. That's uncomfortable. Jesus was judged by a kangaroo court. That was pretty uncomfortable. Jesus was beaten and battered. That was pretty uncomfortable. He had a crown of thorns on his head. That was pretty uncomfortable. He was stretched out on a cross with nails on his hands and nails in his feet. And, and that was pretty uncomfortable. He was pierced in the side and he hung there until death. That was uncomfortable. He was buried in a tomb. And my brother says, that was uncomfortable. But we all know how the story ends. Three days later, Jesus rose with all power in his hands. Give him glory. Give him praise. He's the king. All of that was uncomfortable for you. It was uncomfortable for me. He did it to save us. So here's your big idea I want to give you. Jesus was intentional for us, so we must live intentionally for him. When we are as intentional as Jesus, we become a bridge that connects outsiders to him. Let me say that again. Jesus was intentional for us, so we must live intentionally for him. When we are as intentional as Jesus, we become a bridge that connects outsiders to him. If Jesus can go through the cross, that was very uncomfortable, but he did it on purpose for our salvation. Where can we go and who can we connect with for him? Here are your next steps. It's kind of the youth pastor. I mean, back in the day, just when I did youth ministry, if you really wanted to apply something from this message, here it is for you. Are you following Jesus? You can't reach people for him unless you're really following him. Secondly, how are you intentionally connecting with outsiders? I'm a pastor, and so I work with Christians, or man sees the outside, God sees the heart. I hope they're all Christians I work with. But I don't work in an unchurched environment. I don't work in the corporate world. So I've got to work hard to get in spaces where people who are far from God, I can get close to. How about that for you? And lastly, this week, pray about opportunity to diversify your dinner table. The reason why I say that, I heard this quote by, um, it was in a study called Undivided, about racial reconciliation, but I thought it was a quote not only for racial reconciliation, but for reach people like Jesus said that diversity starts at the dinner table. Who are lost people? that you invite to the dinner table so that you could connect them to Jesus. Maybe when you think about your dinner table, you'll think about this question. Am I close to someone who's far from God? Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and we praise you, God, for your example in the scriptures. There is nothing that you would have done that that would have stopped you from saving us. There's nothing that you wouldn't do for us, God. So God, I pray that as we think about what you did to save us, that we consider how you would use us to go win others for you. Pray, God, that those in this room don't have to have the story I had where I encountered somebody that I just struggled to connect with because of the way that he looked and he dressed and what he said that he did. Pray, God, that there's nobody too far beyond our reach. Because, Lord, at some point, while we were sinners, you died for us. So may that be our heartbeat. May we walk with Jesus. May we connect with outsiders. May we live on mission. And thank you, Jesus, for being intentional. It's in your great name we pray. And let us all say amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.